and somebody else preaches your stuff and they preach it way better than you ever would. And <laughs> that's happened to me a number of times. I'm not gonna name, I'm not gonna drop names of other preachers out there that preach my messages, but they usually do better than I do with it anyway. Uh, but let's get into the, the word of God tonight in our study. And uh, if you remember kind of what we've been doing, this is the, the great doctrines of the Bible, and we've been studying through those and Unfortunately, you can't get so deep because you have one week for a topic. And we've studied God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God's Word last week. And tonight we're going to look at uh, the doctrine of man, or anthropology as it's called. And let's just pray and ask God to help us as we study through some, some of those basic truths tonight on the doctrine of man. Father, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your Word, to, to just uh, glean truths from it, to to come out of here and study, Lord, tonight about us, about man. And Lord, tonight we're going to try to do our best to look at where we came from. And, and of course, the authority is your word. And so that's what we're going to base it off of. And Lord, but not only where we came from, we're going to look at what we're made of. And, and then, Lord, a little later, we're going to look at our fall as well. And that'll lead us right into the last week and the last study of, of sin. And, and, of course, the greatest news ever. And that's Jesus coming to save us from our sins. So I just pray that you'd bless our, our time together tonight, Lord, as we uh, again study and get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1 tonight. And most everything we're going to look at is in Genesis. So you'll be able to use your Bible a little more than maybe in some of the other classes we've had with so many supporting scriptures. But we're, we're going to look at a, a, a few wonderful things uh, around the doctrine of man, anthropology. As you start looking, as you're flipping there, that this word anthropology comes from two Greek words. One means man and, and one means word. So it's really the word or the study of man. Uh, when you see man in the Bible, it comes from the Hebrew word at home. Guess where Adam got his name from? Man, at home. I can't pronounce Hebrew, so I'm not even pretending I can. So, but uh, uh, we'll see how that happened. And so where did man come from? First thing I want to look at is simply tonight, man's origin. Where did man come from? And so uh, I know today's secular history books, today's science classes, today's even TV documentaries, those things you'll watch will tell you that, that all things evolved, right? And, and over billions of years. But you know, the Bible tells a completely different story. You know, the one I'm going to trust is the one who was there. We have an eyewitness. God was there, and he told us uh, how he created it. And so look with me just at the beginning. We're just going to look at verse number 1 of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, and look what it says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created the heaven and the earth. Three essential elements that are fundamental before man could even be created had to be created. And the, the three that make up the universe are created right there in verse number 1. The Bible tells us. Think about it. In the beginning, that's time. Time didn't exist before that. God's a God of eternity. What's time mean to, to an eternal God? And so time was created and in the beginning. Space was created. That's heaven in this case. Uh, and so space. And then matter was created. The word for earth there is, is the word we use for man. So, so beginning of time was started in the beginning. Uh, God who always existed, who always will exist, didn't need time. He created that for us to understand things and become a marker uh, right here of the first day of his creation. And uh, he called into existence then space and matter. So God, Elohim, we talked about that before in a previous lesson. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural unity, the great three in one, the Trinity, uh, created matter, time, and space on day number one. 
Now, I want you to see this, this fourth word. It's very important, or fifth word. In the beginning, God created. That's an interesting word. If you, if you go study it out, you're going to find that, that not, that's not the word that we usually, it's always used in the Bible when you use create something. The word used here was bara. Uh, B-A-R-A is the way we would try to spell it in English, the Hebrew, the English rendering of the Hebrew word. And it literally means this, created something from nothing. I don't know about you, have you ever created something from nothing? There's only one person who can do that, and that's God. Create something from nothing. And, and that's what he's talking. So in the beginning, beginning of time, God, Elohim, plural unity, all three, we've seen that the Godhead were involved in creation. God the Son had the primary element of it, but God the Spirit and God the Father was involved as well. Created, bara, made something out of nothing, and he created the heaven, that's space and earth. That word comes from the word eris. It literally means the physical substance of the universe. So God brought all this out of nothing. Isn't that wonderful to think about? No attempt here was made to prove the existence of God. Just as in the beginning, God created something out of nothing. Miraculous is what really if you think about it. So God brought into existence physical matter, the physical substance of the universe that would later then be formed into everything else we see. Stars, planets, trees, animals, birds, and yes, as we get to it in a little bit, man himself. And so and again, the evolution would say matter was eternal. And God says, no, he created matter. I, I think about these, these scientists today, and you probably have heard this old, this old cute little poem uh, that other, all of us preachers have used from time to time. You ever heard this one? Uh, thinking about the, the, the professors that claim themselves to be so smart. I was once a tadpole, long and thin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from a tree. And now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. <laughs> uh, we understand the physical universe had no existence before this act of God. You ever hear about the, 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 the scientists who tried to challenge God? And, you know, we've become so technically involved now, I guess if you want to use that word evolved in any place, you'd call it that. But, uh, but they decided, they, man decided, or scientists decided they could now make a, a, a living, breathing human. And, and they believed they could even create life and maybe even do it better than God. So they got to talking and they said, let's go, let's go tell God we don't need him anymore. So finally one scientist uh, agreed he was going to go and he went up on the mountaintop, hollered out to God and he said, we now, humans now have the ability to bring people from the dead. We can create our own life. We don't need you anymore. And God just listened. And, and, and in fact, he said, okay, God replied to him, if you can create life, I'll tell you what, let's have a little competition. If you can create a person better than me, I'll leave you alone and I'll let you go. And he said, but, God said, but we're going to do it like we did it in the old days. Scientists agreed, okay, what does that mean? And so uh, he said, well, go, make, go create yours and I'll create mine. And scientist goes and next thing you know, he, he starts collecting dirt. And God just smiles at him. He said, no, 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 go get your own dirt. <laughs> Sometimes we think we're too smart, don't we? Here's what God did on that first day. Made all the crucial elements that are needed to make the rest of his creation that he's going to do over the next six literal days. And, and he's made it time, space, matter. Right there in verse 1. In the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth. And then over the next uh, six days, he, he goes through and he creates everything that we see on earth. And, uh, and how many of you believe that it was six literal days? 
I know there's a lot of different beliefs out there, even within our circles. I mean, I know you're a Bible believer, so hopefully you don't swallow the whole lie of evolution. But, but if you do, that's, you have a right to believe that, but you're gonna, it's going to fly right in the face of what the Bible says. Because the Bible says he did it in six little days. And he said, well, what day could mean anything, right, preacher? Have you ever heard that? And people will say that. They'll take the New Testament text and say, well, a day to the, year, to the Lord is like a thousand years. You know, they'll, they'll use that and try to justify it. Well, here's the problem with that is the Bible kind of uh, teaches a whole lot different. In fact, the word used for day throughout all of chapter 1 is the word yom uh, in, in the Hebrew. And 2,291 times that word's used. And you know when it's used 2,291 times of those times, it literally means a 24-hour solar day. You add evening and morning to it. By the way, every day says, in the evening and morning were the first day. Evening and morning were the second day. It goes right down through it. Every single time the word yom is used for day with an adjective of evening and morning, uh, every single time in the Bible it meant a literal 24-hour day. Do you know the only place that's ever questioned is in Genesis? Why do you think we question it there? Because we're trying to fit what we've been taught into the Bible, right? See, we should go to the Bible, get our truth from it, and pull it from the Bible. Isogesis means we take what we think and believe and try to get the Bible to support it. We're posing our beliefs on the Bible. Exegesis means, no, we pull out of the Bible. That's Exodus. They, they went out of Egypt, right? Exogesis, we pull from the Bible. So if the Bible's your authority, that's why last week was so important when Pastor taught that class, or I guess it's two weeks ago now, right? Uh, what is your authority? Is it the Bible? Is it not? And so we see clearly God created everything. We see clearly it was six literal days. And here on day one, we saw, saw the creation of everything he was going to need to create everything else. And I, I want you to think a couple more things, and we'll roll on, because I know this isn't a creation class, but, uh, but I want to make sure that you understand. You know our whole work week is based off creation? Think about it. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember when the Bible says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath unto the Lord thy God. How many of you believe that? How many of you glad that the same word yom used right there in that verse, referencing creation, talking about our work week, doesn't mean six billion years we work, then we finally get to rest. <laughs> Some of you probably have a job where you feel like you do that every week. right? And uh, it literally means six literal years. It, it, again, the only place we question it is right here. And it's because we've taken what the world's taught us, our secular view, and tried to apply it as if it was truth unto the Bible. And uh, we just got to be careful doing that. You get off in a, in, in a crazy thing. One last thing I want to show you just about that, and I know we, I could give you like 13 reasons why why it's got to be, but this isn't that with that class is. But I want you to see one more thing. Look at Genesis 5, 5, and then we'll get back to our text. Uh, just, y'all know how old Adam was when he died? The Bible says, and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 930 years, and he died. If he was created on day six... And days like a billion years, how could he only be 930 years old? Think about that. So you either got to believe the Bible or you don't. That's where you got to be. It's got to be your authority or it's not. And that's all I'm going to say. And so we understand clearly uh, from the Bible, if you're a Bible believer, that, that Yom or the word day in Genesis was a literal 24-hour period. 
Now, I want you to see something. I gave you a little chart in your, in your thing because this is, this is important, I believe, as you, as you go down through it uh, to understand that God is a God of order. Look at kind of phase one, phase two, if you see that chart on your second page. I was just flipping to figure out where y'all were. Uh, but look, on day one, one of the things he goes on to create a little later, he, in verse three of day one, he, he, still on day one there, he says, let there be light, and there was light. You know what he created? Light. Then day two, ferment, atmosphere, and day three, dry land and plants. I want you to reference the God of order, though. Day one, compare that to day four. Guess what he created after he created uh, light on day one? On day four, he created sun, moons, and stars, those things that reference to that. And day two, he created the ferment atmosphere. Guess what he created on day five? The fish and the birds that swim in the water and fly in the atmosphere. On day three, he created the dry land and plants. And day six, of course, the land animals and the humans that live on that. And all this was done, uh, obviously, to create everything that, it, that was created, he created. We understand that. John tells us uh, that real simply, that nothing was made that he didn't make. But all that was done really as a precursor to the, his grandest creation. And that's where we're going tonight. And that is man. And that is man. And so let's look down, Genesis chapter number one. At, and look down about verse 24 as we head on to the creation of man, the greatest creation ever. So man's origin, where we want to see that it, he was created. And the Bible says this, it says, And God said, let, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth and after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind. By the way, I could go into grave detail, and I love creation. I know you have Brother, Brother Munson, so you don't need that over and over again here. But, uh, but after it's kind, after it's kind, after it's kind. You think that's an accident that's in there over and over again? You think God could look through the annals of time and say, there's going to be these people that think they're smarter than me that's going to try to tell us how this all happened and we evolved from this to this to this to this. He said, no, you stay after your kind. Every animal stays after its kind. And every creeping thing upon the earth and its kind, and God saw it was good. But here he is, verse 26, ready? And God said, let us, who's the us there? All three of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit involved in creation. Let us make man in our image, plural again, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and, all, and over all the earth, and every other creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion of the, over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every little thing uh, that moveth upon the earth. And so we see here the, the creation, if you would, of man. And I want you to kind of see, again, God, Elohim's talking here. We were created by God. Let us, speaking of the the triune God from that point. And, and then we think about how man was created and, and all those wonderful things. Right before that, we read about the cattle and the creeping thing and the beasts. And, and you could go right through that, cattle being livestock and animals. And all this was on day six, the same day man was created. Creeping things. And some of you say, well, I wish he hadn't created those. And how many of you like insects and rodents and, uh, and reptiles? And, and uh, that would be, represent that. And how about the beasts of the, uh, the earth? And most believe that's just the larger things we think of, lions and elephants and, yes, even dinosaurs that day. He said, there is no mention of dinosaur in the Bible. Uh, they had not under that word. You know why? That word wasn't even invented until 1841. 
if you're using the King James tonight, the, the primary translation time was 1611, right? And so that word didn't even exist then. But you will find other things like Leviathan. Uh, you will find uh, uh, lots of mentions of other things that sound just like uh, uh, behemoth, uh, just like over in Job, just like a, a dinosaur if you go read it. So the world's made for man. Man's been created here. We just read it. And we're, we were understanding we're created by God. Let us, the triune God, creating us all. Now let's talk about what God, we're made of. Now flip with me to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, another view, not really another view, but uh, we're going to look at more details of what he created in chapter 1. Now the critics sometimes of the Bible like to come and say, well, there's two accounts of creation here. And, and, uh, and they like to challenge that, they're, like they're different accounts or something like Maybe they were different authors or whatever. None of that's true. They're just different snapshots or different angles or different perspectives, if you would. And uh, Have you ever taken pictures from multiple angles of the same thing? And notice how you just, your perception of it's a little different and your angle in which you see is a little different? So that's what God did here. Why did he give us two snapshots of creation? And, and I think the answer's uh, pretty simple. Uh, both of them describe one act of creation, both written, we understand, by the human author Moses. But, uh, but here's what he does in chapter 2. He expands the details of the zenith of his creation, which is man. Number one, uh, chapter 1 gives us the general day by day of how he did it. Gen chapter 2 goes back and gives us the details uh, uh, about the creation of man in particular. And so think of Genesis 1. Uh, uh, Dr. Baker used to say it this way in, in seminary. Think of that like a, like a floodlight. You see everything. Anybody have a floodlight on the back of your house? You hear some noise out there. You flip that thing on and you can see your whole backyard and so forth. And, you know, kind of just a general overview of the whole place. And, and that's kind of how chapter 1 was. Chronological order. Uh, concerned with creation of the world as a whole. You get down to chapter 2 and it, Think about it like this, like one of those spotlights. You want to spot in. Okay? The general one shows you the whole yard, but wait, what's that over there? And you get your spotlight, and you shine it right on it to find it. That's what God's doing here. He's putting the spotlight on man when you get to chapter 2. They're not two different views of creation. In that sense, there are two different accounts of creation. They're just two different views of the same thing. So he's shining down on the specifics of man. And so that's what we're going to see here as we... As we can continue on. So God reviews in chapter 2 his, uh, the Genesis 1 cap, um, creation. And then he fires in a little more talking about man and how he was created. So, so we go there. Chapter 2. Look at verse number 7. After he reviewed it uh, just a few verses before that. He gets specific now focusing in the spotlight on man in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. He says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What a powerful verse if you think about it. It says, uh, the creation of Adam. God used the dust, the matter that he already created, we read about way back in Genesis 1-1, to create and form man from the earth. Uh, so that fine dust. Listen to uh, Genesis 2-22. I'll just read you some more about creation. We learn how he creates woman there in the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man after he made Adam, made he a woman, brought her into the man. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, know ye, that the know ye that, that the Lord, he is God. It is he that made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pastor. Psalm 103 verse 14, for he knoweth our frame. He remembered that we are dust. 
Our bodies literally depend upon the elements found in our soul and our earth for substance. If you think about it, the chemical elements came from that. Uh, I did a little research here to find out what's our body made out of, because I don't claim to be a, a chemist, but listen to, listen to the results. A, man's, a person's body is made out of 72 parts oxygen. You'd think I'd be skinnier, wouldn't you? <laughs> you could lose weight or something, right? <laughs> 13.5 parts carbon, 9.1 parts hydrogen, 2.5 parts nitrogen, 9.1 parts hydrogen, I already said that, didn't I? 2.5 parts nitrogen, 1.3 parts calcium, 1.15 part phosphorus, plus some potassium and sulfur and sodium and chlorine and magnesium, iron, silicon, uh, iodine, and fluorine. Another person put it this way to try to help us put it into perspective what man's made out of. Uh, I can't speak that this is 100% true, but it was a a theologian I read after that tried to put it into perspective. So, uh, but it's a good way to think of it. There's enough sulfur in man, one person, to get rid of the fleas on a dog. Enough lime to whitewash the chicken coop. Enough fat to make six bars of soap. At least. <laughs> Some eight to ten. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> enough iron to make a small handful of nails. This is what our bodies are made out of. Enough phosphorus to make tips on a book of matches. Enough magnesium for one good dose. And I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> I stopped there, sorry. <laughs> uh, enough sugar for about 10 cups of coffee. And you coffee drinkers, there you go. Just pour yourself in. You, next time somebody gets on you and say, you're mean, you say, no, nah, I'm sweet. I'm like 10 cups of sugar right here. It doesn't mean... <laughs> Enough uh, salt to fill a salt shaker, hmm. plus 50 quarts of water, three, three pounds of uh, calcium, 24 pounds of carbon, oxygen, etc. And all that came from slime, somebody's going to try to tell you. Now, does that make any sense whatsoever? Think about it. Here's what God was like. He was like the potter who took the existing clay that he created in the first place, fashioned it into the, his, his pottery. He took those elements and he created fashion it in the way he wanted to, in this case, formed the body of man. So we see his material aspects. And I want you to think about the, the as we think about the flesh of the body and how it differs some from animal flesh. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. The, the, the flesh of, uh, of us was just immaculate in his creation. Think about the life of the body, too, some of those things, the, how, how it's sustained by blood and by breath, those two very things. Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, And behold, I, even I, bring a, a flood of waters upon the earth and destroy all men, wherein is the breath of life. It's breath, uh, the breath that leads us. We understand that, right? Uh, when we stop breathing, bad things happen, right? And uh, the breath, that's so critical. We're going to see that breath here in a minute because... The Lord breathed into his nostrils in verse 7. We read a minute ago, the breath of life. Uh, Genesis 7, verse 21, 22 says this, And all flesh died that the, after the flood, there he's talking about, that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle, of beast, of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. And all that was in the dry land died. And so 
talking about the account of the flood there because uh, they, they couldn't breathe anymore. So simple, simple reasoning, the breath isn't required. Job said this, Job 27, verse 3, All the while my breath is in me, the Spirit of God is in my nostril, the breath of life. Psalm 104, verse 29, Thou hiddest thy face, that they were troubled, thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Psalm 146, verse 4, If breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. Or to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. And so over and over and over, we, we see how important the breath is that God breathed into the nostrils after he formed man out of the dust of the ground. It tells us Aaron breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God did an amazing work on creation. And then you understand how, uh, how Eve came about as well. So he created Adam, man, that's, remember, at home, we learned a little bit earlier. Then, then in the account of, uh, as he created, uh, created Eve, he, he put Adam to sleep and, and took out of her the rib and made that help meet that, that man so desperately needed uh, and still desperately does, amen? And so 1 Corinthians eleven nine tells us, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Think about the humility that goes into that relationship that exists. What a relationship it is. Someone wrote this. I love this. Barakman wrote this. He said, It is humbling to the woman to know that she was created for the man, but it is for her glory to know that she alone can complete him. Likewise, it's humbling to the man to know that he is incomplete without a woman, but it is the glory of that woman that was created for him. So we see the material creation, and God literally formed out of the dust of the ground and breathed into, into man. The, the breath of life. The things he created back in day one, he used that to create man on day number six. But that's the material, that's the physical. We saw all the elements there, but there's an immaterial part too that makes man more distinct than any other creation. And that's, that has to do with that, the immaterial part has to do with our spiritual and, and even our moral things. And look back at verse seven again, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the air and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a divine life-giving force, life only imparted, that could only be imparted by God, was breathed right into man. The result, man became a living soul. That word soul has the idea of his conscious, conscious living creature. It comes from the word nephesh, and, uh, and uh, it literally means a creature or a being. And Adam became a living creature on that day. Now go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to learn a little more about that non-immaterial or the immaterial part of man and uh, because back in chapter one look with me verse number 26 of chapter one uh, the same account just uh, uh, now we're back to the back to the spotlight or I'm sorry back to the uh, back to the big light on the back of the yard instead of the spotlight and but he told us there when he created man God it says and, and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness so man was created after God's image, unlike the, the animal kingdom, unlike even, even the angels. Man has a unique, special relationship with God. We were created for something different. Uh, we're not only the most complex and highly organized of his creations, uh, but we have something they don't have. We were created in his image. Now that word comes from the word selim uh, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew. It literally means, not, it doesn't mean a, an exact, uh, exact uh, resemblance, but it's a similarity, but not an exact duplicate is the idea. And so the fact that we're created in the image of God distinguishes man from all 
other animals. Uh, we're, we're different from them. Uh, we'll look at a little more about what that means here in just a moment. But he goes on to say, after our likeness and our resemblance and our shape and our model. So only with man did God make himself the model. Think about that. And so evolution has no good answer for the non-physical, non-material qualities of God being made, or man being made in the image of God. Again, not physical here, but moral and spiritual. So what ways were we made that way? I want you to think about that. We all have a personality, right? Where we're all distinct. And by the way, all of us are made a little different in that sense. We, we, our personalities are all a little different. We have a mind. Most of us, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have a mind. Uh, I worry about my own sometimes. I don't know about you. Uh, we can think abstractly. We're different than the rest of man's creation. I mean, you can take a dog, even the smartest dog, and, and, uh, and, and treat them, and they can learn, well, if I do this, when this happens, then I get this. They kind of get that, but they can't m go backwards and make that happen. It's just response. It's response. Do this, get this. Response. Man can think abstractly. He can actually reason all that out. You know, we have emotion. We can feel. Uh, and uh, I always joke, you, you're getting on my last, getting on my, I only, only have one, one emotion left. <laughs> and so you, you think about that. We can feel. We can feel all kinds of things, can't we? Think about that. I always, sometimes you, during those low points of life, and you get a little discouraged, you get down. And you, you, I don't know about you, sometimes you wonder, God, why, why do we have to go through this? Why, why, why do I have to feel down? Think about it, though. If I never felt down, I'd never feel up. If I was always like this, I'd always be like that. And so the highs come because of the lows, and the lows come because of the highs. And God created us that way. And, and, uh, and you can read through the Bible and see the made in image of God. We're a trichotomy just like him, and, and he had all those things. And, and we have a will. We can make decisions. Not just instincts, but decisions and moral decisions on that. And so we're made it in the image of God. When it's talking about that, it's not that we physically look like him. We understand God's a spirit, but, but it's, it's in, this, in, in these other ways. Man also has eternal spirit. Oh, I hate to cover this, but uh, you know animals. I'm going to make somebody upset. You're never supposed to say this, especially as a visiting preacher, right? Uh, animals cease to exist when their bodies die. Sorry, the Bible says that. Ecclesiastes 3.21, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth. Uh, which one, I just lost my dog just a, uh, about a month ago, I guess, right now. And one of my closest friends and, and all that. And I, I wish that wasn't true. I even, uh, he even tried to leave him the Lord. He didn't understand any of it. But, uh, but, but man's made different. We have an eternal spirit. That's why it's important for us to know Jesus is our personal Savior. Because that day could come any moment. And we, we need to be ready. And we need to have, our, have trusted him. Uh, man also has an inner nature that, that animals don't possess. He made us different. We have moral consciousness, a capacity to know and love and worship God. Uh, part of our, in fact, we're empty without God. That's why the world's looking for something. That's why, listen, that, that's why there's every kind of club and gang and people want to join this and join this group, do this group. Even the ones say, I don't want to be part of any group. They're part of the group who doesn't want to be part of any group. They're really part of a group. Did y'all get that? I ran out of breath there. I don't want to have to say it again. <laughs> uh, so you, you think about it. We all have that capacity. Hey, but it's the whole that they're looking for. 
that they desire. They may not even know what it is, right? But they're empty without God. We have the capacity to know and worship. We have the capacity, by the way, to choose to obey or disobey. And uh, we have also the ability to have consciousness of destiny. We understand even a lost person who doesn't believe in God understands they're going to die, right? And even them, every one of us fear death to an extent. Uh, and uh, I'm thankful that we can know that death is not the end uh, because uh, through Christ we can live eternally. We also resemble God in some sense because, because of our physical. We, we understand God's a spirit, yet he created our body to function in ways that God can function even without a body. Do you know God can hear? The Bible tells us that. He didn't, he didn't have ears like we have, but he can hear. He can see. He can hear. Listen to Psalm 49, or 94, verse 9. He that planteth ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? The Bible says God can smell. Genesis 8, 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savior. It says that God can touch. In Genesis 32, verse 32. He touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And it says that obviously we know that God can speak. 2 Peter 1, 18 says, And the voice which came from heaven we heard uh, when we were with him in the holy mount. And so when God desires to appear to man visibly, he, he often did it in the form of human. We've talked about that. Y'all remember we called it when Christ showed up before he was ever even born? A Christophany. Y'all remember that, 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 that doctrine we learned together? And, and so, so God's done that often. And when he does, he usually shows up in a bodily human form. And, and just so he understands us inside out in our creation. Of course, when he, when he sent a Savior, how did he come? God and robed himself in flesh just like man, and, and he understands. He prepared a body for his son, and, and, uh, and it's exactly how. So, so man's origin, we see his, his creation, his, comprehend, his composition, his material and immaterial parts, and, and, uh, and we're made in the image of God. But what was man created to do? We talked about the doctrine of man. Not only was it, we're talking about his origin tonight, but what's man's purpose? What was man's work originally, before the fall? Look at Genesis chapter 1, and Verse number 26 with me, it kind of tells us some of that. It said, and God said, let us make man our own image after our likeness. Let us have, and then it goes on to say this, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the earth and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And look at verse 28, and it goes on to say this, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish her, subdue it, and have dominion, again, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we were created to have dominion over the earth. And that word dominion literally comes from a, a word, rada, and it literally means this, to reign or rule over. God put us in charge of his creation. Man did in our unfallen state. You know, you... Uh, I know there's these crazy sh movies out there that reverse some things sometimes now and that are out there, but you, in real life, you don't find animals putting man in a zoo, do you? Because they don't have dominion over us. It's the other way around. Man was created to have, again, dominion over the earth as well, over the plants and the animal kingdom. But it, it, his dominion was not limited to the Garden of Eden. It was supposed to be over all things. Listen to Psalm, in Psalm 8 and verse 6. It says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through this, the pass of the sea. 
It's all supposed to be under our dominion. Hebrews 2.8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under His feet. Psalm 115, verse 16, The heaven and, and even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath He given to the children of men. And so we were made to, uh, to have dominion over this earth. Uh, Adam and Eve were to, to just work there in, in the garden and have dominion over it and take care of it and, and uh, the original creation. Uh, then he goes on to tell us we were also created, man was, uh, to procreate and fill the earth. We read it a minute ago, but read it again with me in verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every little thing that moveth upon the earth. And, and so it's a command that, uh, that, uh, that came with God's blessings. To, it was God's, in fact, first command to mankind, if you think about it, was to go and replenish the earth. Now, that word replenish has, has kicked about some, some tough theology and uh, led some people down some wrong roads. Because sometimes we read things and we use today's definition. Uh, if I was going to say replenish today, uh, we would think about it probably this way. We would like to think about to fill again, right? Replenish. I just had a sip of water. I ran out of water. Hey, would you replenish my cup? We think, well, that's to fill it again. Well, here it comes from the Hebrew word malay, and, and here in, in, in the time that our, our King James Bible was translated, the word replenish literally meant to fill for the first time. Uh, so to fill. It wasn't to refill, it was to fill. It's a great translation because that's how the word was used. Sometimes words change over time, right? And, and so the, the Hebrew word, though, straightens it all up and... Uh, and we understand it wasn't to repopulate a once populated earth. Again, there's a bunch of theories that come because people believe that off of this one word. If they just go look up the original word, they'll find out it means, no, it just means to fill, not to refill. And so the command was, uh, one of the things that man was created for was to do that very thing, to, to go, out, go about and fill the earth and, and to procreate. And, and so we see that as we look in our notes. Man's purpose is work and... and uh, uh, to have dominion has worked to replenish or has worked to fill the earth for the first time. And then, then he was also created to worship, to worship. In fact, I want you to uh, flip with me to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Hold your spot. We're coming back here to Genesis. But uh, one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible, thinking about why was man created? What was our purpose? We saw our, in our origin, we saw that we were created, but what, what was man's purpose in the doctrine of man? So. Uh, we were created to worship and to praise and to bring glory to God. It's pretty simple. That was it. So let me stop and try not to, I know it's a teaching night and all that stuff and try not to preach a whole lot, but if that's why we were created in the first place, how are we doing? Hmm. I want you to think about, right, listen, I can think about my own, but I want you to think about your daily life. And when you're thinking about, I'm getting up today, and i got to go do all this. And we all have those checklists, right? Mine's very long, many days, especially with work. Think about all the things on your list that you got to do today. How many of them fulfill the purpose of what we were created? Are they going to glorify God? Are they going to worship God? Or I started thinking about that and realizing, you know, I miss the mark a lot, right? How often do I really do what I was created 
in, to do in the first place. And so I'll get off the preaching and get back to it. But listen, man's worship, we were created to do that. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. If you're there, say amen. So I know you're there. Uh, all right. The Bible says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Now, we would agree with that, but look at the last part. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure are they. They are and were created. Listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21. This people have a form for myself. They shall show forth my praise, God says. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Then thinking about the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In this case, talking specifically about saved people. Uh, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So what was our purpose in being created in the first place? Yes, it was to have dominion. Yes, it was to procreate and fill the earth. But it was also to worship, to glorify, and to praise our Lord. And so... Think about that in our purposes of life and how, how we've done when you think about the major purpose we were created for. How's our worship? How's our, how's our praise of him? Uh, are we doing what he created us to do? So we've seen man's creation tonight. We've seen man's, uh, his origin, I should say, we, his creation, his composition, both the immaterial and material parts. We've seen his, uh, his, his purpose, and his, he was made to work. He was made to worship. And, and, but lastly, I want to end this way. I want to show you man's fall, because that will even lead us into next week as we get into sin. But we're going to see its origin here tonight, man's fall. So back to Genesis with me. Genesis chapter 3 now. Genesis chapter 3. And so here at this point in time, if you think about it, Adam and Eve, or, uh, or some theologians say it this, are in an unconfirmed state of holiness. I don't even know what that means, and I've taken all kinds of I got all kinds of crazy classes, but, but they, were, they were living in a perfect place. There is no death because death came because of sin, and, and they're going to mess up. And we can throw all the shade we want at Adam and Eve and all that, and guess what? If that would have been us in the garden, we would have messed up too, right? Because yeah, guess what? We even know the truth, and we still mess up. So we would have done the same thing, and, but... Uh, we're going to see the, the man's fall here the last little bit. But I want to pay attention to exactly how it happened. Because this ties back to last week's lesson, too, on how important, how fundamental the Word of God is. And I hope if you can drive anything home, listen, it's that. The Word of God has to be your authority. It's the, and Satan knows that. That is the very thing he attacked. More than anything else, he attacked the Word of God. Uh, Pastor Tim hit it a little bit this morning. In fact, I was sitting there, don't go too deep here. We're covering this tonight. and He's going to take all my thunder. But, no, but we're going to look at, uh, look at this fall of man. And, and, of course, what was his fall? It was because of sin. We know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus. It was disobedience. So Adam and Eve were forbidden of one thing. That was taking that fruit of, in the Garden of Eden. And so let's read about that forbidden. Uh, part first and then let's read about the fall after that so look at me I told you Genesis 3 but let's go back to Genesis 2 and verse 16 again 15 he's given them dominion of Genesis 2 verse 15 the Lord God took 
man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it, to keep it. That was dominion over it. We talked about that in one of his purposes just a minute ago. But look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, of, uh, of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day thou, that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And he goes on and tells it's not good, and it's where he made, meet, made Eve in the last part of that. But look now in verse number 1 of chapter 3. Here comes Satan along, that serpent, the subtle serpent. Literally means he, he was a crafty, he was sly. And he was more than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, the Bible says. And he, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. It's the very first thing he did, tried to get him to question God's word. Satan hadn't changed. If he can get you to question God's word, listen, he wins. And I want you to see the, the progression that happened here as he got him to question God's word. Uh, see, God could have made, them, made Adam and Eve just to obey him and love him forever, but he wanted them to choose to love him and be obedient of uh, free will because it's not really love if you make somebody, right? Yeah, and so God, God wanted them to choose him. And so he gave them free will and and so here comes Satan, knowing that, and he comes along and he starts to tempt them, uh, the Bible teaches us. And, and how he does that is exactly by getting them to question God's word. He says again, Yea, if God said, ye shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat, it, eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know the day that you eat thereof, uh, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, and to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And so let's go back and look how Satan works because this is the very fall of man this is why now every one of us when we're born we are born with a sin nature we'll see that here in just a minute it was because satan came and he he tempted eve and and ultimately adam's there too so guess what he's just as much to blame and I, obviously more because he, he the, the the man's accountable for all that but but he comes along and he does it the same way he still works today he hasn't changed his primary attack has always been on the word of God. The first thing he did was just get him to question God's word. First, verse number one, chapter three again, he says, yea, if God said. Just get you to question it. Eh, does that verse really mean that? I mean, today is 2023. Does that really, right? How many of you have people say that? How many of you, maybe you've read that and thought that? Does it really apply? Is that really true today? You know, get you to question it. It's okay to have questions, right? But that's just step one. Because the next thing that happens is now we're taken away from it. Look what she does now. Next thing you know, they questioned it. Now they're subtracting from it. If you look in verse number two, the Bible says there, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But that isn't exactly what God said. Look back at, uh, look back at Genesis chapter two and verse number 16. God said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You see the difference? Just kind of small, subtle, not a big deal. Freely, yeah, yeah, can eat this, can't eat that. 
And boy, we're starting to hit. Next thing you know, they're adding to it. Uh, look back at verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, but in the, free, uh, but, uh, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of God, and God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. If I go back to Genesis chapter 2, and verse 17, I don't see anything about touching it as a prohibited. He wasn't, they weren't prohibited to touch it. They were just prohibited to eat it. Now we're heading right down. Hey, they've questioned God's word. They've removed from God's word. Now they're adding to God's word. Boy, we got a lot of mess out there that does that too in this world, don't we? Removes from it and adds to it. And uh, next thing I saw is they, they started to soften it. Uh, in chapter 3, he says, uh, I mean, chapter 3, verse 3, he says, you're not touched of it lest you die. You know, you say, well, he said he's going to die, right? But back in 17, it said, thou shalt surely die. Well, we're just softening it, you know, making it more appeasing for everybody. The devil works the same way today. Next thing you know, they're just flat dying, denying the whole thing. Uh, he goes into verse 4, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Well, God had already said, no, you shall surely die. And then finally, they're, vast, they're blaspheming God's word. And Satan says, hey, he don't want you to do that because you should be as God yourself. The same pattern still happens today. And it leads people eventually to ignore and to disobey God's word. And that's exactly what they did. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to make one desire to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And I want you to throw out something. I'm going to not get overly dogmatic on it. But when I read that, it says Adam was with her. Uh, uh, the, you know, I, I've heard so much preaching, just getting on the woman, getting on the woman. Well, he was right there, according to my Bible. He was with her, and he ate too. Uh, so, hey, it's on both, right? So Satan hasn't changed. His primary attack then and now is always going to be the Word of God. If he can get you to question it, if he can get you to take from it, add to it, soften it, eventually you're going to ignore it, and you're going to disobey it, and that's the way he operates today. That's why last week's lesson is, in my opinion, the biggest and most important is simply, if we can trust our Bible, and if that is our authority, and we, we, we put our trust in that, and that becomes our authority, listen, we disobey it. Uh, there's parts of it, I'm going to just be real honest with you, you probably won't hear too many preachers say this. There's parts of it I don't like a whole lot. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, eh, that shouldn't be, eh, God, that's too hard, right? But he's God, I'm not. And y'all ought to be thankful of that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And I ought to be thankful of that for sure. And uh, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And, and uh, I just got to believe it, even in the parts I don't like. And Satan will tempt you to just, just, just diminish it. Because if he can get you to diminish it in any way, add to it, take away from it, soften it, all those things, he'll get, eventually get you to ignore it and just disobey it. Exactly what happened here. Now, even Adam were tempted in the same way and it, as, as every temptation comes in our life. In fact, in the New Testament, it was later put it, put it this way, the three main areas of temptation. And 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And, by the way, can I tell you, Christ was tempted in all three of those as well. Yet he was without sin. But man, we didn't do so good with it, did we? Think about these categories. And did I give you that chart? I think I did. And I need it because I don't have it on my notes. Uh, think about these categories of sin. That, that they were lust of the eyes. 
when they looked, or lust of the flesh, when they looked, uh, uh, that, that, that fruit appealed to the, to the physical body and their appetites. And, and uh, that, that's what that lust of the flesh does. Something appeals to our physical appetites, our bodily appetites, and we start to lust after it. And that's what the tree was. The tree was good for food. It would satisfy that desire. Then the lust of the, the eyes, the appeal really to the emotions, the aesthetic senses, and the appreciation for beauty. And the Bible said that it was pleasant to the eyes, enticing and pretty. All three of these ways that Satan attacks us and tries to get us to sin were present here. And then finally, the pride of life. Appealed to, that appeals to man's spirit and man's mind, one's pride or knowledge, their insight, all those things. Remember what they said? It's one to make one wise. You'll be somebody, he says. Again, Jesus was tempted in all three of those as well uh, over in the desert, and we won't have time to cover that, but, uh, but of course he, he did it without sin. And so now man has a problem. Man has sinned, and, uh, and we see the, the cause of it there, the way it always comes in, those temptations. But that led us to the curse. He said, what's the curse? Well, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus the punishment for sin was, was hard. Hey, it's death. It's an eternal separation from Christ. Yeah, but thank God tonight, we're going to spend way more time on that as we get in next week in, in, into, the, into the, the fall, a little more, really more into the, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of salvation. But uh, I want you to get this much tonight at least. When Adam sinned from that point on, every person born of a human father inherits a sin nature. Romans 5.12 makes that clear. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, talking about Adam, at home, right, man, and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Here's a little simple little truth to get as we go out the doors tonight is simply this. Man does not become a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. And it's foundational. It's not, kind of like a dog. A dog isn't a dog because he barks, right? He barks because he's a dog. And uh, it's the same idea. And then here's the worst part, though. We're born to sin nature. We need to be redeemed already. We're already under the curse of God, already uh, under the wages of sin. Uh, and then we have one more problem on top of that. Then we willfully choose to sin ourselves as well. Because we're sinners. The Bible says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we, we see the, the cause that came there. We see the curse that came. And we see, know, understand now that death is the ultimate curse there. We also see that now I'm telling you the work is by the sweat of the brow. And there's thorns and pains and, and childbirth, all those things. Again, we'll dig in a little more next week. But I'm thankful tonight before we leave there is a cure for it, aren't you? Because, you know, the wages of sin is death. And then there's that wonderful three-letter word, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, I'm thankful for the buts of the Bible, aren't you? <laughs> uh, he came to do one thing, seek and save that which is lost. He robed himself in flesh to come to this earth to take your sin and my sin on his body on that tree. And then he imputes to us his righteousness. What, what a deal. We're going to look at all that in the doctrine of salvation next week. And uh, but there is a cure for our sin problem. His name is Jesus. And uh, if you put your trust in him and him alone, he will give you his righteousness. 
You know, take your sin, cast as far as the depths of the sea, as far as the east is from the west. Some of those wonderful truths we heard this morning. And, uh, and he'll save your soul and give you eternal life with him uh, in, in, in heaven, in the glory of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we sure do thank you tonight, Lord, for uh, just our opportunity to dig into the word of God again. And Lord, the doctrine, I mean, so much more. Lord, this is, this is such a hard study uh, to get in, in in the little bit of time we have with each of these subjects. and But Lord, I, I pray you continue to pray for wisdom to bring out the, at least the highlights of it all and get the main points. And then, Lord, just help us to just apply them, Lord. Help us to leave here knowing more about you, knowing more about all these major doctrines, understanding what we believe. So when when false things come, Lord, and they're all around us, when untruths come, Lord, we'll, we'll be aware of them because we know the truth. Like the old, the old banker's tale, Lord, where they, they teach folks. The, Lord, they, they just show the real thing over and over and over. So when a counterfeit shows up, it's just obvious, Lord. Help us be that immersed in truth and in the, the doctrines of the Word of God that when false teaching shows up, it just, it's just so obvious to us. And Lord, because we want to honor you, we want to live for you, and we want to follow the dictates of thus saith the Lord our authority, the Bible. And so thank you for our time together, Lord. Bless us as we dismiss and uh, give us a great week. And Lord, we do look forward next week to the final study in this side of the series anyway as we, we look at your great salvation because of man's great sin. And uh, we pray that you'll be honored in it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.